0: Fathers, we again come to this story of Noah, and uh, we come to the time when you called him into the ark, Lord, and the flood began. Uh, That's what we'll be looking at today, Father, and I just ask that as we look at his life and how it progressed, that we learn lessons about our lives, and and Lord, uh, I guess the thing that impressed me the most about Noah is how he did everything that you called him to do according to the way you called him to do it. Lord, and it was a lot of hard work. There were some miracles along the way, Lord, that you gave him, sometimes where you spoke to him directly, where you appeared to him directly, but most of the time it was just really hard work. And, Lord, I think that kind of mirrors our lives. We, we sometimes think that uh, we get called to some kind of ministry or to some, some particular calling you have for our lives, Lord, and that just uh, it's a bed of roses after that. Lord, we know it's not. We know that, that uh, your calling uh, the fulfillment of your calling is a difficult task, and, and Lord, so help us to see that as we examine closely Noah's uh, fulfillment of the commission that you gave him, and so that we can learn how to fulfill the commission that you've given us. Lord, if there's anyone here and who's uh, born again and doesn't know their calling, Lord, I ask that uh, you inspire them through this text to seek you and seek what you would have them to do in their lives as they serve you. Uh, we're not, any of us going to have to build an ark, I don't think, Lord, but I know you have a plan for everybody's life in here. And, and Lord, we want to learn how we can fulfill that plan, what that plan is as we, as we examine the life of Noah. And so I just ask that you bless this study today uh, by the power of your Holy Spirit. I ask it in Jesus' name, amen. There's a doctrine that is... Floated around for several centuries, uh, kind of an obscure doctrine known as the economy of miracles. Now, let me just read to you an a excerpt of, or a definition of that doctrine, a uh, summation of that doctrine. Uh, let me just read that to you. Listen to what it says. It says, God created the universe with such per- perfect efficiency that rarely, Rarely will he interfere with its operations or in the lives of its inhabitants, except in cases where natural processes alone cannot bring about his will. You understand what that's saying right there? In other words, God's use of miracles is limited, Uh, not because his power is limited, but because that's the way he chooses to work in this world uh, and to get his will done. Another way of putting it is that God's normal way of doing things is not a bunch of visible miracles. His normal way of doing things is using ordinary people to do hard work to get his will done, using the natural processes of, of life. Now, the deist and the cessationist love this doctrine. If you don't know what a deist is, let me explain to you for a minute. A deist, and, and I, I, I'm not trying to make a theologian out of you, but there are a lot of people that believe this way. Our founding fathers, for the most part, believe this way. What they basically believe is that there are no such thing as miracles. That God has so ordered the universe so perfectly that if we will just do His will and work hard, We can usher in the kingdom of God. There's no necessity for miracles. God's pretty much set the, spun the top, put things into play. And now it's our job to do our work. And that's how we usher in the kingdom of God. And so, so that's why you had people like Thomas Jefferson, who was a deist, who didn't even believe in miracles at all. He didn't even believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So be careful when you start talking about our founding fathers as Christians, because they had, some of them had some strange beliefs. All right. Then there are the cessationists, and I know we've talked about cessationists several times. That word's pretty easy to explain. Those are the people who believe that the gifts and the miracles have ceased, that there aren't any more miracles. They believe that one time God used miracles, that there were miracles in the Bible, uh, obviously, that are recorded for us, and they believe in those miracles in the Bible, but they believe that once we were given the Holy Spirit, and once we were given the word of God, that which is perfect has come is the way they look at that. Once we have received those things, there's no need for miracles anymore. And so, so they don't believe in miracles at all. Now, that's not what the economy of miracles means at all. And I, I think they've taken it way too far. God is not through using miracles. He still uses miracles today. Uh, I, I think... If I was to ask anybody in this room to give a testimony of, of the miracles that they've seen in their life, I'd probably everybody in here who's a born-again believer has seen some sort of miracle in their life. I know I've seen miracles in my life. I mean, I mean, I know some people have seen uh, a vision of uh, you know, God's glory. Some people have heard an audible voice. Uh, some people have... Have uh, had some dream where God spoke to them clearly in that dream, something like maybe like Joseph's dream. Uh, I've met people who are Christians who have have gone to their prayer room and they've they've actually felt the physical presence of God, God in their prayer room. That's a miracle, and so I believe that God still uses miracles today, over and over again. And one of the ways that God works supernaturally is behind the scenes in what we call providence. I mean that's where I really see God working in my life. I mean I know that God has orchestrated my whole life. He's been behind the scenes my whole life supernaturally working on my behalf. And since my eyes were open and I was born again 30 years ago, I have really seen over and over again these supernatural miracles that God has it's things people would call miracles but you know that god's hand was in the event that took place that he had take place in order to help me along in my life and and to move me to where he wants to move me to get me in the place where he wants to get me we call that the providence of god and that really is a miracle in and of itself and so i believe that god works in miracles i mean we see this miracle of providence over and over and over again not only in our own life you see it in the bible One of the great examples of that is over in the book of Ruth. One of of the most fascinating verses in the Bible is is Ruth, uh, uh, chapter 2, verse 3. It says, Ruth happened one day to come upon the field belonging to Boaz. She just happened to come upon that field belonging to Boaz. Now, who was Boaz? Boaz was the guy she was going to marry He was going to become her husband. And they just happened to have a son named Obed. And Obed just happened to have a son named Jesse. And Jesse just happened to have a son named David. David, the king of Israel. And and through David, we have the line of Jesus Christ. And we see Ruth in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. But from Ruth's standpoint and from the author's standpoint, she did just happen upon that field one day. But through the natural processes of life, one day she found herself in that field and she met met Boaz. But from God's standpoint, that was a series of a bunch of miracles that he worked in her life, throughout her life, to bring her to that point where where, uh, she met Boaz and she became part of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. That wasn't an accident. That was planned by God before the foundation of the world. So God is always working supernaturally uh, throughout the world. But here's what I want you to see. He limits the number of miracles. He limits the number of miracles, and he limits who he gives those miracles to. He limits those miracles to the people of God. And we're going to see that as we look at this. Now, what's all of this got to do with Noah? Well, Noah lived under an economy of miracles. And I say that because there's this perception out there that Noah somehow lived this miraculous life, just one miracle after the other. He just you know, it's just a fairy tale story of a bunch of miracles whereby Noah was saved from the flood, but that's not the case. I mean, if you think about it, Noah lived 950 years and he didn't see many miracles at all. Not many at all I mean uh, on a couple of occasions God appeared to him and he spoke to him audibly I would say that was a miracle there's no doubt that's a miracle and and uh, when God brought those animals into the ark uh, I'm sure he thought that was a miracle when those animals came to the ark on their own he probably thought that was a miracle now when Noah saw it rain that first time (coughs) there had never been rain on the earth before So he sees raindrops coming from the sky, and I'm sure in his mind, he considered that a miracle. And then when he saw that first rainbow, he considered that a miracle. Here's the problem, one of the problems we have in defining miracles. How many of you think see a rainbow today as a miracle? Well, I do. I mean, how many of you see rain today as a miracle? Not many of us. I mean we get enough rain in Lafayette if, it, if it's a miracle we're getting a lot of miracles in Lafayette because it rains here all the time uh, we don't see rain as a miracle I mean miracles are something that are supernatural unusual visible events that come into our life that we've really never seen before now you stop and think about it when Adam and Eve bore that first son Cain and he came out of the womb Of Eve man can you imagine can you imagine what they thought when they see this little baby coming out of the womb what a great miracle I got to tell you I saw my son's born and and that's a miracle the birth of a child the gestation process of a child that is all a miracle but we don't see it that way I'm talking about as a culture anymore do we I mean we see babies as trash that we can just kill and we can abort and so we've lost sight of that miracle. So, so what's a miracle gets really shady at times because we don't see rain as miracles, and I don't think think we see rainbows as miracles. But Noah, I think, probably saw them as, as, as miracles. But even given those events, he didn't see many miracles in his life. Not many at, at all. Noah lived under this economy of miracles. Uh, I mean, just think about it. I mean, God. Could have, if he wanted to judge the world, he could have just spoke, uh, grabbed Noah and his family up and took them up to heaven for a little bit, spoke judgment on the earth, blasted everybody away just by his word, put Noah back on the earth, and, and that would have been that. But that's not the way he, God chose to do that. I don't know why he chose to use a flood, but he chose to use a flood to, to destroy all the living creatures on the earth. Well, which meant for Noah to be saved, what was Noah going to have to do? He was going to have to build an ark. Well, you know what? A miracle would have worked really good right there. I mean, God could have just spoke into existence the nicest cruise boat you've ever seen. I mean, it would have been not much nicer than what Noah built, and bigger, however big God wanted to make it, and, and smooth sailing. And I mean, he could have done, made it just as easy as he wanted to do, and, and, and saved Noah a lot of hard work, but he didn't do that. You know what? He didn't even provide Noah the hammers and the nails and the wood to build the ark. Now, you could say he provided all of that through the natural resources that were on this earth, but is that a miracle? No, that's the natural processes taking place. You know, you stop and think about it. I thought about this when I was preparing this message. Noah lived 500 years before God called him to build the ark. Now, he had to be a wealthy man to build that ark because he had to get enough wood. I mean, you go, again, I I challenge you, get online and, and, and go to YouTube and look at the ark encounter and look at the size of that monster. And he had to get all of the wood and all the labor, I mean, all the materials, nails and all the food and all of the things to fill that ark. He had to be a wealthy man or he never could have done that. So here's a guy, he spent 500 years Accumulating wealth. Could you imagine how much wealth you you could accumulate in 500 years? I mean, if you were a, a strong, godly person and you you lived the, frugally the way you live now, and and you had 500 years to accumulate your wealth, you would be a very wealthy person if you lived like that for five. Some of you would just go worse, worse, worse. Not some of you. Some people would. But 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 things should you should be able to accumulate accumulate a lot of wealth over 500 years, and I believe Noah did. Why did he accumulate it? He accumulated it. He didn't know it at the time. I mean, I'm sure after 500 years, he was thinking, kids, we we can go to the Bahamas for a while. I mean, we we can go to Hawaii. I mean, we can do anything we want. we build the biggest house we want to build. I mean, we're set. We're set for the next 450 years of my life. We're set. I mean, that's how long he lived after that. I mean, we're set. We can take it easy. We can retire. We're done. We've accumulated all this wealth. Then God comes along and says, I want you to build this monster ark. And, I want, and, and God didn't give him any nails. He didn't give him any wood. He didn't give him any hammers. He didn't give him any saws. I mean, he says, I want you to build this. And Noah built it. And he built it board by board, nail by nail. without a, There weren't any angels that came to help him. He had to do it. It was hard work. I might have, they might have hired some laborers to help him. He, again, I think he would not have given enough wealth to do that. But mainly it was him and his sons building this ark. And so most of it was done through the natural process of hard, hard work. But there were a few miracles along the way. One of the miracles Noah had, we see as we come to chapter 7, verse number 1. And what a miracle this is. And it's, a, it's it, w- w- remember, under this economy of miracles, that God limits his miracles to those things where he can't get his will done otherwise. And so we have this miracle here, and so there's a reason behind this miracle, and we want to look at it in chapter 7, verse number 1. It says, Then the Lord said to Noah, Come into the ark, you and all your household, because I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Now, notice what the Lord says to him here. He doesn't say, go into the ark. And if your translation says go, then it's, it's, it's faulty. He says, come into the ark. Come into the ark. Now, now that doesn't seem to be much difference. What's the difference between go and come? If I tell somebody to go, I'm telling them, you go over here, you go over here and do this. If I tell them to come, what am I going to say? It, come where I'm at. And so we have a picture here of God in this ark telling Noah, it's time come into the ark now why would god have to appear to noah at this point and tell noah to come into the ark think about that a minute why would why would he have to do that well noah has been working on this ark him and his family for a hundred years they didn't know exactly when the flood was going to come i mean they they were given a prophecy about it whether they believed that prophecy to be true or not No prophecy can be proven true until the event takes place, which is prophesied. You can't prove it true until then. So they didn't know that it was true. I mean, they were told that when when Methuselah died, that judgment would come. That's that's what his name meant. So, So Methuselah had died, and now it's time for them to go in the ark. But the Lord has to tell them, come, come into the ark. Well, if I'm Noah, I've been building this ark, and every day I'm building this ark, people are laughing at me. Everybody's mocking me. Everybody's wondering, what in the world am I building this ark for? And I'm building this ark, and after a while, day after day after day after day, you know, we love to tell that story in Sunday school, and we take about three minutes to tell this, but this took 100 years. And nail after nail after nail and nail after nail, every day, every moment of every day, they're building on this ark, and the rains don't come. And people are laughing even more at them and they're wondering maybe is it ever gonna happen and let me tell you what else if I'm Noah and I'm believing God that he's gonna destroy all the living creatures on this earth and all the plant life on this earth which is what we're gonna see happen when we start looking at the flood later on if I'm believing that all of this is gonna happen what's this world gonna look like When I get off that ark. So it wasn't just, oh, happy days, we're getting on the ark. It was not something they were looking forward to happening. The world was going to be, it'd be like you looking forward to the apocalypse and then you walking out on the earth after the apocalypse. I mean, if it wasn't for the New Jerusalem, you know, you would hesitate to even want to be around here after the apocalypse. And so Noah's pondered this in his heart. And so God has to urge him. He comes to the ark. He gets in the ark, appears in the ark, and he says, Noah, come. Come into the ark. And he says it with the tender voice of a father, like a father who's in in his house and he sees a storm coming and his kids are out playing and he says, come. Come into the house, there's a storm coming. And so uh, the Lord says to Noah, come, come into the ark. It's time for you to come inside. And, and there's a, so there's this miracle there. I mean, the appearance of God, that's a miracle. If God were to appear in this room right now, we would all fall on our faces as dead because it would be something we would not expect. It would be a miracle beyond our comprehensions to see the glorified Lord standing here right now. I mean, we all know he's here right now. We're two or three are gathered, the Lord's with us. I mean, he is here right now. How I many of you believe he's here right now? How I many would you like to see him right now? I don't know I would. I think you're bolder, you're bolder than me. I, I, I mean, I know I'd hit the ground just like John did when he saw him in his glorified body. That, that's a scary thought. And so the Lord appears to them. How many people saw the Lord in that ark? How many people heard his voice? Did the whole world hear that? No. Only Noah and his family were the ones to experience that miracle because of this economy of miracles. And that's another tenet of the economy of miracles, the fact that God doesn't just do miracles for show. God does miracles for a purpose, and God does miracles for his children and really nobody else. Now, you might, he might do a miracle to get you to be his child, but he won't do that. You'll never see a miracle of God if 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 you're not a child of God you might see some some demonic miracles but you're not gonna see a miracle of God God economy of miracles he uses those for his children you know I think about when Jesus Christ was resurrected I mean when he was resurrected from the dead he could walk through walls remember that remember how he appeared to those two disciples on the road to Emmaus and he appeared to them, and right as they figured out who he was he disappeared I mean those are miracles But did Herod see him? Did Caesar see him? Did Caiaphas see him? Did any of the Jews that crucified him see him? Did Pilate see him? I mean, there's always been this case. If he really got resurrected, don't you think common sense would say he would have gone to these leaders and said, Here I am. Uh, See, you crucified me. I told you I was going to rise on the third day, and I've risen on the third day. You know what they would have done? They would have hung him right back on the cross. That's what they would they would have arrested him and hung him right back on it they would have done anything they could and I don't know if they could have done that at that point I don't know that would have been wise trying that but but that would have been their intent and God wasn't going to show himself to them God showed it 500 people saw Jesus Christ after the resurrection and 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 they were people of God they were disciples of Jesus Christ and so that's one of the one of the tenets of this economy of miracles you know only Noah and his family saw this miracle because uh because look at the last part of this verse it says because I have seen that you are righteous you're one of my people you are righteous before me in all the generations now what made them righteous before the Lord well we're told in chapter 6 verse 8 Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord that's what makes you righteous that's what makes me righteous Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. What grace? Grace means gift. What gift did Noah receive from the Lord? You know what he received? His faith. His faith. Well, wait a minute. Didn't his faith have works? Yes, certainly. Faith without works is dead. But what produced those works was his faith. His real faith that he received from the Lord. Noah had the faith to live righteously in a terribly wicked world. Noah had the faith to, to, to build the ark and prepare his family for the flood. He did all of that by faith, but where did he get that faith? That faith was a gift of God. And so by this miracle of God, we see in chapter 7, verse 1, Noah now has the strength and the encouragement It's like, hey, the Lord's going to be with me in this ark. The Lord's going to be with me when I come out of this ark. And I don't know that he saw the Lord again for a while until after he came out of that ark. But he knew what he saw visibly now would be there spiritually. And so he had the courage and strength to enter the ark. And so it wasn't the miracles that made Noah righteous. It was his righteousness That enabled him to see the miracles it was his faith and he believed God and he did everything according to the way God had told him to do it and so he saw a few miracles now God gives him we come to the next two verses God gives him his uh, final instruction before the flood begins listen to verse 2 and 3 he says you shall take with you seven each of every clean animal Now that kind of changes things, doesn't it? Seven. Why? Seven. Of every other kind of animal, bug and uh, bird and all of that kind of stuff, how many are going to be taken? Two. Two. A pair, one pair. But of the clean animals, you shall take, uh, of every clean animal, a male and female, two of each of the animals that are unclean, a male and a female, and seven each of the birds of the air that are clean. And at male and female to keep the species, now I'm sorry, all the birds, also seven each of the birds of the air, male and female to keep the species alive on the face of the earth. Now you understand what he's saying, to keep the species alive. You understand that. I mean, what are some of the clean animals? When you think of a clean animal, you think of a lamb, you think of a turtle dove. How's a lamb gonna make out with a lion? Not In, in this dispensation, is not gonna make out well at, long, at all. And so there needed to be more species to proliferate the the species on the earth. So there would be plenty of them because some of them were going to be slaughtered. Also, so you've got three pairs that are going on to the ark of clean animals. And then one extra. What's that one extra for? What's that seventh one for? Well, later on, we're going to see Noah is going to make sacrifices using the clean animals. And so that's why you have the, the seven animals. All right, now, uh, look at verse number four. So he's going to give him some prep time now. He says, for after seven more days, the Lord comes to him, comes into the ark. He tells him it's time to come into the ark. He says, for I, but I'm giving you seven more days to make your last preparations. For after seven more days, I will cause it to rain on the earth 40 days and 40 nights, and I will destroy from the face of the earth all living things that I have made everything he makes his case there for his justification in destroying them i have made them i have a right to destroy them and he tells Noah, look i'm going to give you seven more days to do your last minute preps i hope noah was better prepared than i am when i go on a trip Because when I do my last minute preps, it always takes more time than I have to get them all done. And I find myself running late to wherever I'm going. If I'm going to the airport, I'm running late to the airport and I'm in danger of missing my plane. Noah does not want to miss that boat. If he misses that boat, he will be in deep water. That's a pun there right there if you catch it. He's going to be in deep water so hopefully he's better than, was better than me and then he was pretty much prepared and so he's got seven days he gets it ready And then notice this again in this verse in verse number four he, the Lord says, I will cause it to rain. I will uh, destroy from the face of the earth all living things. Why? Because I am the creator and I have the right. To destroy the creatures that I've created well wait a minute that's not fair Paul answers that issue about the fairness of God in judgment over in Romans chapter 8 flip over there with me for a minute and let's look at that little passage in Romans Romans in the New Testament not too far past the Gospels Romans chapter 8 I'm sorry Romans chapter 9 I want you to drop down with me in Romans chapter 9, and let's look beginning down in verse number 18. He says, therefore, the Lord, or he, has mercy on whom he wills. You don't think the Lord's fair? Tough, is what Paul's saying. He has mercy on whom he wills, and whom he wills he hardens. Hardens for what? Hardens for judgment. Just like he hardened Pharaoh for judgment. Well, that doesn't seem fair. That doesn't seem like everybody has a choice. You know what? Everybody does have a choice. But when you choose to harden yourself against God, God has the right to choose to harden you even more and make you a vessel of destruction. I mean, you look at Judas and the process that Judas went through. He started out all right, but then he began to steal the money out of the treasury. He began to not like the way Jesus was doing things, and he began to harden his heart towards Jesus, and so God just hardened it even more to the point that he betrayed Jesus and and became the son of perdition. Well, God knew that was going to happen all along, so he was chosen for that, but Judas still had a choice, and so he does harden whom he, he, whom he wills, he hardens. Well, you say to me, that's not fair. Why does he still find fault with me if I don't really have a choice? No, you got a choice. Everybody has a choice. What he's saying here, even if God doesn't give you a choice, it's still fair because he's God. That's the point that he's making. But indeed, oh man, who are you to reply against God? Will the thing formed against it say to to him who formed it, why have you made me like this? You know, we've lost sight of the fact that God is the creator. You are who you are because God created you as who you are. He gave you the parents who are your parents. You don't like your parents? Take it up with God. I mean, you don't, you don't like the way you look? I mean, I'm blessed. I don't have to worry about that. <laughs> but if you don't like the way you look, There's times, lots of times, I don't like the way I look. And I have taken it up with my creator, and you know what he's told me? It's going to get better in the sweet by and by. (laughs) He, he He says, does not the potter, verse 21, have the power over the clay from the same lump to make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor? What what if God wanting to, now here's where it gets really tricky here. He says, what if God wanting to show his wrath and to make his power known, just made a bunch of vessels so that he could ha- have joy in destroying them? That's not what it says there, does it? It says that he endured with long suffering. God wishes that none should perish, that all should come to eternal life. But he gives people a choice. He creates us all with a choice. He knows those who are His when He creates us. But anybody can be His. Anybody can come. But nobody can come unless the Father draws them. So He doesn't have to draw anybody if He doesn't want to. But He suffers long. He wishes that none should perish. He wishes that everybody would make the choice and come to Him as as their Savior for salvation. (coughs) Uh, and, and, And so it says he endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. They were created to be destroyed. That's true of the whole human race. We were created, all of us are born in this world to die, and then comes the judgment. And everybody who's born into this world comes into this world, I mean, as sweet as my little grandson is, and, and, and he might be the one exception, we're, we all come, I'm joking, we come in here under the wrath of God. And the only way that can be changed is by raising kids up in the Lord to where they receive Jesus Christ in a real way as their Savior. And if they don't they're not going to be saved. they're going to be vessels of dishonor they're going to be vessels of wrath i mean just think about it when when god created adam and eve he knew he knew when he created them they were going to sin but not only did he know they were going to sin they were going to have children that sin they were going to have children like cain that just totally hated him and would rebel against him And they would be vessels of wrath. But he created them anyway. Vessels of wrath that would be fodder for the judgment fires. God created them this way. Well, that's not fair. Tough. He's God. You're not. That's the way he created them. They made a choice. And then when you make a choice, your children normally follow that choice. And so things got worse and worse and worse. And, and, uh, But he created Adam and Eve anyway, and he let them have those children anyway. Why? Because he foreknew that there would be some of those children who would be vessels of honor. Not many, but some, men like Abel and Seth and Enoch and Noah. And so he suffered long. (coughs) I mean, God didn't have to put up with mankind for 1,656 years before the flood. He didn't have to do that at all. But he suffered long with mankind the vessels of wrath in order to save the vessels of honor. He's doing the same thing now. You look at our country and you say to yourself, man, it ought to be destroyed the way we're going and the way people hate God in this country. But he suffers long with these vessels of wrath. He suffers long with them. The reason he suffers long with them is because of the vessels of mercy. He's looking out for the vessels of mercy. Thank God he's looking out. The vessels of mercy. Look at the next verse here, verse twenty-three. He says that and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy. Friends, when you see God's wrath, when you see His wrath, go visit go visit a hospital and watch somebody die who's not born again. You see God's wrath. You see people. You see people suffering things they shouldn't have to suffer, but but they're living under the wrath of God. They're rebelling against God, and they're living under the wrath of God. You know what? It makes you thankful for being born again. It makes you thankful that you're a child of God, that you're a vessel of mercy. Mercy, not a vessel of self-righteousness, a vessel of mercy. You have received God's mercy. You found favor in the eyes of the Lord, and because you found favor in the eyes of the Lord, he gave you faith. And that faith produces works. And it's changed you. It's made you a better person. It's prepared you for life. And you're different from the rest of this world. And and that's the glory. See, you see God's glory on you because you see yourself as different. Not better. Better, yes, made better by God. But not better in and of yourself. You're no better than, than the vessels of wrath. But we've received that mercy. Now, only Noah, let's go back to Genesis 7. How many people went into that ark that day? What, Noah, his wife, and his three sons, and their wives, eight people, and some animals. That's the only ones that went in. Billions, billions, billions. Were destroyed by that flood they drown a terrible death in that flood Friends, God is the same yesterday today and tomorrow and if you're not in that ark and judgment comes and I don't believe there's gonna be many people in that ark but that judgment comes and you're not in that ark the ark of Jesus Christ, you're going to drown with the rest of this world. You're going to be destroyed with the rest of this world, and you're going to face eternity in hell. And so it, it, it's important to us all. The most important thing we do is to get into that ark. Now, let's look at Noah here and his family. Now, they're in the ark. They got in that ark because God showed favor on them and because he gave them faith. And that faith produced works, great works. Like I said earlier, nobody did anything greater in the Bible than Noah. Look at verse number five. And Noah did according, chapter seven of Genesis, verse number five. And Noah did according to all that the Lord commanded him. I love that passage. It's repeated twice. We saw it in the last chapter. He didn't just do what the Lord had commanded him to do. He did it the way the Lord commanded him to do it. All that the Lord had commanded him to do, he did it. And because he did it, when he was 600 years old, look at verse number 6. Noah was 600 years old when the floodwaters were on the earth. So Noah with his sons and his wife and his son's wives went into the ark because of the waters of the flood of clean animals, of animals that are unclean, of the birds and of everything that creeps on the earth. Two by two they went into the ark to Noah, male and female as God had commanded Noah. And then the last verse that we'll look at today, and it came to pass after seven days that the waters of the flood were on the earth. Now you see God's economy of miracles that work right here. I mean, those animals weren't translated onto that ark. Noah and his family weren't translated onto that ark. Oh Lord, sometime, you ever pray this? Oh Lord, just get me over here. Get me, get, get me to this place in my life. Just translate me over here. And let me skip this part right here. No, we have to walk through all of life. Noah had to exercise his will, his family had to exercise their will, and they had to walk into that ark. Now, that doesn't seem like a scary thing. It wasn't as scary as the flood that was about to come, but they're looking outside at sunny skies and a a beautiful earth that they're about to leave for a wooden box for over a year. That's a pretty scary thing. And so by faith, they had to walk into that ark. All of those animals had to walk into that ark. They weren't translated onto that ark. But you know you could say it was a miracle that they went into the ark and did God's will and walked onto that ark. But isn't that what all the creatures are supposed to do anyway? That's not so much of a miracle. And then came the flood itself. Noah was 600 years old when the flood waters were on the earth. And it came to pass verse number 10 after 7 days after he finished his preps and was on the boat that the waters of the flood that the waters of the flood were on the earth, that they, it began to rain. It began to rain. Well, was that a miracle? I mean, to know that was a miracle, but I don't know that's such a miracle. I mean, it's part of the natural processes. What did God do? There was this water vapor above the earth. Somehow, through heat or cold or a combination, he could. you know, you can't find how rain is made. Even now, scientists don't know. They know that it's condensed vapor. How it's actually condensed, we really can't narrow down the process. Now certainly, it's probably there for the finding because God uses natural processes. And in the natural processes of things, was this water canopy that was all over the whole earth and he began to condense the water and it began to rain. And then the waters of Below the earth, the crust of the earth was broken up, maybe through volcanic activity. Uh, Some people believe that when the waters came down from the water canopy, there was this, you know, enough water to cover the mountains, and there was so much weight that it began to break the crust of the earth open, and then the waters from under the earth came up and joined the waters that were coming down from the heavens. Whatever the process, if you were to look at this from the outside and look at what was going on, You would say oh this you know like a tsunami tsunami is a miracle you know you watch a tsunami you ever seen a picture of a tsunami coming in that is that's that's a miracle in a way but we can explain that through natural processes and i think somebody looking at this could have explained it through natural processes but but it was you know a miracle nonetheless uh so the flood began i mean i got to tell you, that had to be a scary thing. A scary thing for everybody on earth, but especially for Noah and his family. I Me mean, hit everybody else so fast, I, they, were, they were probably gone pretty quickly. But for Noah and his family, to all those years they had worked on that, and then all of a sudden they got what they had worked for. And it wasn't something I think they were... They, I mean, it had to be a hole in their heart to know that all these people, all their relatives, all their friends, a lot of these people were going to die. And and it had to be, you know, it had to be, it had to be a horrific experience. And 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 so they get on the boat, and the rains come, and uh, we'll get to where they were. At uh next week, uh when the floods really begin to uh hit the earth, now here's what I want you to see as we finish this up, because there's a great application here for all of us. Yeah, Noah saw a few miracles. I mean he saw he heard God's voice, he saw the living Lord. Uh, you could say he saw a rainbow and he saw the rain and maybe that was American. He saw the animals get on the ark. But those, you know, you could explain through natural processes. But, but, but most of what Noah did, he did through hard work. What Noah had to do is what we have to do. As Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, we're to walk by faith and not by sight. I'm going to tell you what, there's a movement in the church right now that seems to want to contradict that precept, that we're to have miracles, we're to walk by miracles and not by faith. Just empty your faith at the door because we're going to show you the supernatural show here at our church here today. And that's the way a lot of people see the the, the way church should be as some kind of supernatural show. Now i'm not a deist i'm not a cessationist i certainly believe that god works in miracles today every bit as much as he worked in miracles in noah's day but he didn't noah didn't see many see many miracles he didn't see many miracles at all i mean i look at moses moses saw saw several miracles i mean the manna coming down from heaven i mean the red sea parting the red sea the the water coming from the rock. He saw all sorts of miracles. But when you, if you followed in Noah's footsteps, for I mean, they saw the Shekinah glory sitting over the tabernacle every single day. But see, again, that comes back to that definition of miracle. After 40 years in the desert, what's that? What's, I wish that a cloud would go away. You know, it just hangs here all the time. It led us in some bad places. I mean, day to day, No. Moses, like Noah, had to operate by faith more than he did by sight. And and that probably was an age where we saw more miracles than than any other time than maybe the apostolic age. Paul's day, which was the apostolic age, there were lots of miracles. But there was an economy of miracles. And and it bothers me when I see people coming to church every week expecting a miracle. I expect a miracle, not the kind of miracle they're expecting. You know, I expect, I see people who experience the miracle of sanctification. I mean, I know people in this room that I knew 10 years ago that are much better people than they were 10 years ago. I'm a much better person than I was 10 years ago. Some people like Roy have digressed. But but most people have been, there's this miracle of sanctification going on. I'm joking. Roy is certainly being sanctified too. Amen. Amen. Right. I mean, we've seen people saved in this church. Isn't that a miracle? I mean, I believe there's times, I know there's times, when God anoints our worship, He anoints our Bible study. That is a miracle. But that's not the kind of miracle a lot of churchgoers are looking for. They're looking for some sort of exciting, extraordinary, visible manifestation of the power of God. That's what they want to see. I don't think there's anything more exciting than somebody getting born again or getting sanctified. Or or hearing God's word under the anointing, I don't think there's anything more exciting than that. But, But that doesn't appease people like that. And so, so, uh, uh, in an economy of miracles, that doesn't fit. And the Bible, over and over again, teaches that God uses an economy of miracles, and that the miracles that take place have a reason, and the miracles, not just to satisfy supernatural lust, but a great purpose in that miracle. There's some purpose that God's using, for salvation, for sanctification, for anointing, there's some kind of miracle. That's the purpose behind that miracle. And so, I I I see all these churches. They want to call themselves miracle churches, and and come here, and you'll see a miracle every week. And I got to believe that there's some counterfeit miracles going on, some demonic miracles going on. And I'm not a, I'm not judging any particular church. And I'm not, you know, I'm I, I'm not I'm not their judge, but. There's something wrong when things are working in a church the way God doesn't work in a church. Something is wrong in that environment. Now, you know, I've had some extraordinary miracles in my life. And so I'm not, again, I'm not a cessationist. Several, several just I know were supernatural and I'm not talking about just the province of God here. I'm talking about supernatural miracles, uh, visible miracles. I've had had, I say several, a few. There are several to me, but they're not really that many. Maybe five. You know, but I've been in this, I've been a Christian for 30 years. And five miracles in 30 years is not many miracles. And so most of my Christian life, I've had to walk just like you have to walk. By faith and not by sight. Just like Noah had to walk by faith and not by sight. Just like all the characters in the Bible had to walk by faith and not by sight. Now, I want to, as I close here, I want to ask you a question. What task has God called you to complete? In your life? What's your overriding calling in your life? And I'm I'm not trying to put a guilt trip on anybody if you don't think you have a calling. There's there's really something wrong with that, and I'm going to say that. And I'm not trying to make you feel guilty, but maybe I am. You should have a calling, there should be something in your life. That God has called you to do, if you've been a born-again believer, it could be something as commonplace as raising your family. That could be your calling, and and there's nothing wrong with that calling. Lamech, we know Lamech. Who was Lamech? He was Noah's father. What else did Lamech do in the Bible? Anybody tell me what else Lamech did in the Bible? You can't tell me what Lamech did in the Bible because we're not told Lamech did anything else in the Bible. But raise a son named Noah. Pretty good calling, wasn't it? Noah saved the whole human race, or God used him to save the whole human race. So your calling might be some, what people consider some commonplace job or experience, but you should have a calling. In other words, you should know what God has called you to do in life. If you don't know, it might not be time for you to know. But at some point, as a believer, you should know what God has called you to do in life. Find that calling. And, and, and find your ark to build. And whatever God calls you to do, verse number five, do it according to all the Lord has commanded you to do. And it's not going to be easy Because God is going to use not a lot of miracles. He's going to use an economy of miracles. And that will mean that you're going to have to walk a lot more by faith than you do by sight. But, hey, as believers, what do we have? We have the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit to empower us and to help us, whatever God's called us to do. We have the Word, which is a light unto our feet, a lamp into our path. I mean, to guide us wherever we're going. We have prayer. What's prayer for? To requisition the supplies we need for our calling. You you can call on the Lord and he'll give you whatever you need to fulfill your calling. But let me tell you what, to fulfill your calling, it's going to require a lot of plain old grit, true grit, plain old determination and endurance And 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 to to see it through, and and most of most of what we'll do in fulfilling our calling will be mundane work, board by board, nail by nail. That's why a lot of people quit on their calling because it's just too mundane. When you raise a child, it's something you do twenty four seven. You don't ever quit. You don't quit until they're out of your house. You're, you're raising that child. But just because there's an economy of miracles doesn't mean you won't see a miracle along the way. I mean, a, a, a direct word from God. I mean, I mean, sometimes I just beg God, just give me a direct word. Just give me a direct word. Something to encourage me to keep going. You remember Paul when he was, he, was, he had gone to Jerusalem, and they had beaten him, and he was, he was, he, they had accused him of bringing Gentiles into the temple, and they had beaten him. The whole crowd mob had beaten him up, and they had arrested him, and they had thrown him into jail and put him in chains. I mean, golly, the guy had to be discouraged at that point. He had to be really discouraged. You remember what happened that night in prison? The Lord himself appeared to him and he told Paul he said be of good cheer say what be of good cheer Paul for you for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem today so you also must bear witness in Rome you're not going to die you're not going to you're going to go to Rome and I'm man I would have been thinking oh wow I'm getting out of jail tomorrow and I'm going to get a ticket to Rome and and I'm going to go before Caesar and they're going to be waving, ban- you know, having crowds there. And they're going to listen to me and everything's going to be hunky-dory. But, but uh, that's not the way it worked, did it? I mean, Paul needed an encouraging word and so he got a miracle. But how many days did Paul in, spend in jail during his life? I mean, he spent a good months and months and months and months and years in jail. And one time Jesus appears to him. There's an economy of... Miracles, But I think what kept Paul going is the same thing that keeps me going. And it will keep you going as you fulfill your calling. And that's keeping your eyes open and your ears open for the providence of God. And you will see God working in your life if you're in his will, doing his will. You'll see that over again and over and over again, and it will encourage you. And when you finish whatever God has called you to do according to all He has commanded you to do, then you will hear Him say, come into the ark. Come into Jesus Christ. Come into the joy of heaven that was prepared for you before the foundation of the world. All of this is serious business. Time is short. Find your calling. Get busy doing your calling. And expect it to be a lot of hard work. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your willingness to to use your children in your work on this earth just as you used Noah, one man, Lord, to build a giant ark to save the human race. Lord, no, telling what you could do in our lives if we were willing. Lord, and we are willing. And so we ask you, Lord, to just, just call us. If we've been called, encourage us, Lord, and then give us the strength to do what you've called us to do. Sometimes along the way, Lord, we'll have that supernatural experience. But Lord, even... When we don't have those experiences, we can look at our lives and the things that are taking place in our lives and know that you're with us every single minute of every single day. Father, we just thank you for the privilege that we have to know you and to know Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen.